Hey everybody, I am back with another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj on this Monday evening. A lot to still talk about as there are so many things that transpired over the past weekend which I will be able to get into hopefully as the week continues. Uh, so what I want to start talking about in this episode kickoff is talking about some of the you know unique stories that we've seen of younger uh, athletes starting to emerge and you know gain some you know confidence and you know approach towards the Olympics which hopefully will happen this year in the summer and so there's a lot of obviously a lot of athletes that are looking to strive for that make it to it um, which you know it's just great to see and then I want to talk about a former NBA player an NBA legend that is going to be going to be embracing a new opportunity a new challenge um, in, in the year ahead. So to kick things off, uh, I want to talk about Brady Malone. Brady Malone uh, captured his first uh, U.S. men's gymnastic title this past weekend. Um, he overcame um, a, sh- a shaky start to win the head-to-head battle um, against, I think, Sam Mucholek. Mucholek. Um, if I pronounce that name, sorry. Uh, to win the to win the title, um, his opponent was a great, uh, obviously a two-time Olympian champion, um, you know. And on the this is at the U.S. Gymnastics Championships where you know they have these events for different records, different events, and so really nice to see that overall happen. Where um, you got to see, you know, he he got the opportunity to really showcase his talent, his abilities, and he delivered finally. Um, you know, so it was a very nice moment to see. Prior to this, he competed for the Stanford Cardinals at the NCAC level, where he did win two championships with the team. Um, and all around, a really good effort, you know. So, you know, he was looking to obviously uh, focus on this one more particularly because, you know, a couple of close finishes prior to this, and, you know, he just wanted to be able to break through and have that victory, which he did. Um, you know, early on in his career, he also gave, he gave up quite a bit of sports to kind of go after uh, his dream of uh, competing for, you know, you know in, in gymnastics. So, you know, he did go to rodeo, which he um, was able to, I mean, develop a competitive mentality for rodeo which can be a trying sport requires a lot of uh, control and patience and so he was able to kind of bring that mentality where he was competitive enough to bring out the best of him and he put it all together uh, to win a very impressive championship you know so he's helping to ride that momentum heading into the Olympic trials, which he'll have to really prove himself again. This is a great start for him. Um, you know, coming from Georgia, moving to California, training with some of the greats, observing a lot of great men. You, you know, uh, men gymnastics in front of him. You know, gymnasts after him. And obviously, we can't also overlook the fact that what a tremendous job the U.S. women's gymnastics team has done on a high level with Simone Biles and Jordan Childs. You know, they're like. So many incredible athletes on both sides in gymnastics where 
we're seeing a lot of younger generation, younger players get up there to work with them, train with them, and and then showcase their talents. And for Brady Malone, this was a, a big time thing coming for him. Hopefully, he'll be able to ride this momentum going forward. Um, you know, to make the team and, and be able to do even more. But the future is bright for Brady Malone, and it was a nice moment seeing him win. Um, especially after that tough start he had, but he overcame a lot of things in terms of, like, kind of blocking out social media, and social media can be a huge part of anybody's lives if you kind of choose to make it that way, but, you know, he tuned out the distractions, decided to, like, give it a break, focus on, like, the competition, focus on what he had to do to win, and he was able to kind of block out all the noise, go out there, give his 100% effort, and become a winner, so... Hopefully, we'll see more and more of him be brought up as we get closer to the Olympics, for sure. So, now I want to transition to talking about a former NBA player who will be getting an opportunity to coach um, and hopefully turn a program around and make it more uh, appealing and more noteworthy. And that is former NBA player and legend Gary Payton, um, you know, has been named the new basketball head coach of uh, Lincoln University, which is in Oakland, California. And, you know, Gary Payton is a player, a nine-time All-Star Defensive Player of the Year in 1995. Uh, Played for the Seattle Supersonics, among other NBA teams as well. Um, Really set a lot of great records along the way. Won a championship with the Miami Heat in 2006. And he's also uh, been nicknamed the Glove as he was a great defensive stopper. And obviously he had a memorable battle with Michael Jordan back in 1995 in the NBA Finals where both went at each other. And, I mean, Gary Payton definitely did a good job on Jordan on most of those games. But Jordan was just too great towards the end. And obviously Jordan ended up winning the trophy um, over Gary Payton and his team. Um, but he's a solid... Uh, person and a player that continued to grow and grow throughout the years in terms of understanding the game of basketball, working with a lot of players, um, being able to be involved into a lot of things um, throughout his post-career in the NBA. And, you know, he's committed to really doing well because he grew up obviously in Oakland, California, went to high school in California. And now he gets a chance to turn around a university that has been looking to get back on the map, to get into more Division One, um, you know, related sport activities. Um, and he gets a chance to come into this program and really build his vision and build around the things that he has available to him. You know, so you know he's going to do tremendous things, I believe, uh, for Lincoln University comes down to obviously him being able to recruit, use his experience and his, his, you know, his network to like bring in recruits and build a you know build a good program. And you know, his mentality as a player is going to help him a lot because you know talking about pushing the basketball, being accountable. I mean, he's going to do a great job of getting a lot of these kids who are coming to the university to really play solid basketball. And they may not be a super team or anything like that. But they are going to try to develop winning habits, which they haven't had in a while. So, you know, he is going to um, 
bring a lot to the table. Obviously, the only coaching experience that he does have um, is with the big three in the league that Ice Cube founded, in which he's able to coach some guys up and do some nice things. Uh, but he's very smart, very aware of a lot of things in the game of basketball, and he's committed to building a great program, building a great program that will compete, will be able to do, stay on course, and make progress from year to year. And hopefully, with his vision and his, you know, his style, I mean, Lincoln University hopefully will have a lot of good um, players coming out of there, get a chance to play in the NBA possibly. Um, but more importantly, I mean, you just love seeing former players, former you know people who play kind of paved the way for a game of basketball to get opportunity and so he's getting getting an opportunity here with a a program that is kind of off the radar a little bit you know kind of in the shadows and I think that him stepping into this role will be great he'll be able to embrace it kind of build it out his own way obviously working with a lot of people there and a lot of resources um, but I'm excited to see what Gary Payton does with Lincoln, Te- Lincoln University there in Oakland, California. Obviously, he's well-respected, well-loved, uh, known for a great player throughout his career, playing with some memorable franchises, and being able to now coach all these players and the young ones coming out um, of high school. It should be exciting to see what he does. Um, you know, it will be interesting to see how he navigates all of that and what he's able to do. What was he able to do? Um, because it is going to remain something that a lot of people have their eyes on, seeing how you know a lot of former players and coaches in this in their sports have come back in different roles, whether it be the front office, whether it be a managerial role, whether it be as an assistant. Uh, Gary Payton finally got an opportunity that I think he's really going to take it and, and do well and do big things with it. So can't wait to see how that all plays out. Um, in the year to come. So in this next segment, um, I want to talk about the big NFL news that came down this past weekend, and that was Julio Jones has been traded from the Atlanta Falcons. To the Tennessee Titans, um, Tennessee giving up a second rounder, a fourth rounder um, to get Julio Jones, and I had talked about last week, kind of talked about teams that were likely to miss the postseason based on their records in the division last year, and I had mentioned Tennessee, and I will stick by that prediction. I will stick by Tennessee missing the postseason, or better yet, likely to miss the postseason. And to be honest, my opinion has not changed with the, with the addition of Julio Jones. So Julio Jones gets a fresh start with Tennessee. Um, and you look at what Tennessee has now. Uh, they obviously needed to address the wide receiving position, which they did now with getting Julio Jones. Got A.J. Brown, uh, Derek Hendry, and obviously Ryan Tannehill coming back. So... Look at Tennessee on paper. They got a very explosive offense because teams now have to decide whether they want to add an extra guy to defend Derrick Henry or do they want to have that guy to cover, potentially in the secondary, to cover Julio Jones. 
Now, Julio Jones obviously has been an exceptional talent, the player uh, throughout the years, and you know he gets to go to a division in which they are going to be favored uh, because of the, the way that they have played as an offense prior to him now being on the team. So you look at the Atlanta Falcons side of things. I mean, why would they do this? It's clear to me that the Atlanta Falcons just don't really have an idea what they're doing. Because you don't trade a player of that caliber before your season starts. And that's the case you should have drafted a quarterback at number four. You drafted a tight end in Kyle Pitts, who was touted as one of the best pass catchers in the draft. But you drafted a weapon that hopefully will help your team. You have Julio Jones, Calvin Bridley. Atlanta had an explosive offense, a new offensive coordinator. And here you go trading away Julio Jones. The future, <laughs> looking for looking for towards the future, right? And Arthur Blank had mentioned about winning games and winning this, winning that, and you trade Julio Jones away, and you don't even get a first-round pick. Now, it wasn't going to be a first-round pick because of Julio Jones' shortened season, which kind of helped Tennessee make this offer. Um, but the Atlanta Falcons just really don't have a clear idea what they're doing. Uh, not saying that their GM is not it's a bad person, but if you had this in mind the entire time, why wait until after the NFL draft to do it? You should have done it well before that. But now you got to leave Matt Ryan thinking like, oh shoot, I don't have Julio Jones anymore. Who am I going to throw the ball to? I mean, it's a tough blow for the Atlanta Falcons. And they obviously are probably a little bit agitated at Shannon Sharp because... The whole kind of thing with Shannon Sharp pulled where he called Julio Jones and Jones didn't even know he's on the air. Um, that kind of led to the media kind of getting at the Atlanta Falcons about Julio Jones and his future. It all kind of spiraled downwards since then. So a tough break for the Atlanta Falcon fans because Jones was the best player on that team. I don't think they've improved at all with, the, um, with him out, out of the equation. Now, Tennessee, to me, as good as Julio Jones has been throughout his career, it comes a point in time where you have to win those big-time games. And for Ryan Tannehill, to me, even though he's had some success with Tennessee early on in his career, can he do it again this year? You know, Can he find a way to win those big-time, prime-time matchups? And the chemistry that he's going to have with Julio Jones it's going to be interesting to see and watch. I'm not saying that Julio Jones is going to totally like flame out. Obviously, Tennessee is taking a two-year run on him because of, of the contract that he had signed previously. But Tennessee, if they're expecting their offense to be great and elite, it may be the case. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to win the division. And the reason why they didn't like win the division is because I don't think it'll be the offense that will be the problem. I think it'll be their defense. And I think that with that defense, I think we're not going to see that Atlanta Falcon offense. Sorry, we're not going to see that Tennessee Titans offense run as smoothly. And here's what I mean by that. Look at Brian Tannehill, right? He's been obviously excellent at passing the ball down the field throughout the years. Um, but what is the biggest knock against Ryan Tannehill? Is that he can't win those big-time games. Now, he was able to do it with the help of Derrick Henry and a great running game. 
but teams are going to be much more aware and understanding of how to do things. So even if Julio Jones is out on the field, A.J. Brown will obviously get a chance to get the ball a little bit more. Um, question is, can Derrick Henry continue to be that force of nature that he is? You know, and I think that at a certain point, Ryan Tannehill, you know, he's going to have to make plays. And I don't see him making enough plays to Julio Jones when it's crunch time this year. I think that there will be a challenge for Ryan Tannehill because a lot of teams know what he is when he is not. And Ryan Tannehill is not going to be able to light you up consistently all year long. So... Julio Jones may help them win, uh, you know, some amount of games. When it comes to the elite competition in the AFC, I just see so many teams that are much better than the Tennessee Titans right now. And time will tell if the Colts can make something with Carson Wentz. But on paper, they have an explosive offense. To me, I'm only going to believe when I see it. And so... You know, it's a big thing that they needed to address in their division and in terms of the AFC Conference. Um, but Tennessee has a lot of work to do. I don't think their offensive line is as sharp as it's going to be. It was last year. I think that their defense isn't as strong. Even with the addition of Bud Dupree there, I see them struggling a little bit, being a little bit uneven. Um, I can see them missing, missing the postseason um, just because I think that Ryan Tannehill may have a tough time winning if they're going to rely that two minute situation with Ryan Tannehill trying to throw the Julio Jones I'd love to see what happens with Ryan Tannehill in that situation can he deliver late to Julio Jones can he deliver when they need a possession a score that's what we're looking at so it's a great move from the sense that Tennessee now has a big time you know number one wide receiver the question is how does AJ Brown do how does Ryan Tannehill get it going can he rise his game up a little bit this year because that's only they they come into the division. I think their defense will be a little bit off um, and I don't think they'll be as sound um, when it comes to the big time games. So something to watch out for. Let's see if Julio Jones can kind of turn, you know, turn the picture around, you know, prove me wrong. But I would just say that I will still stand on Tennessee and not making the postseason. And I, I don't think it will be all Julio Jones the reason why. I think it will be Ryan Tannehill more more so than anything when it comes down to it this year. So I want to finish up today's episode by previewing... Um, one of the Western Conference semifinal series in the NBA, and that is Denver at Phoenix, which kicks off tonight, um, a late game tonight, um, and it should be a great one. Denver and Phoenix have been battling it out throughout the regular season for the seeding, and this is a, it's going to be a tough series to call either way, but it's a fresh matchup, very exciting, because you got a lot of good things going on one side. Now, for Denver, you just wish that Jamal Murray was able to play. Unfortunately, he's just not, you know, he, he can't. But Denver has been resilient all year long because of Nikola Jokic's incredible MVP play. And he's got them in this position now where 
They're facing a Phoenix team that is hot, coming off a first-round playoff series over the, over the Los Angeles Lakers, and Devin Booker really emerging as, as a superstar. So, in terms of these both teams, in the regular season, Denver uh, did win the regular season 2-1. to one. Um, All those games were pretty close finishes, particularly one or two of them were in overtime, double overtime. So... Uh, it promises to be very exciting because both teams do match up well enough where it may come down to shooting, it may come down to size, but it may come down, come down to the superstar play um, on both teams. So when you look at it, the leadership of Monty Williams and Chris Paul has been so tremendous this year. Uh, the Suns are playing so confident and right, uh, playing right at the right time. So. Um, it is going to be fascinating to see how you know, both teams come out this series, what kind of adjustments are going to be made. Um, but I expect close games in this series. Um, I don't think any teams are going to get blown out in this series. Um, but it will be challenging, I think, um, to see how both teams adjust um, in terms of matchups, in terms of how they sustain momentum in this series. So, my keys to victory for the Denver Nuggets in this series, I think number one, defensively, they need to limit the Suns from the three-point line, force them to go inside, contest their looks. That's something that they have to do. Uh, because you leave the Suns for a wide open threes, they're going to make it. So, the Nuggets definitely have to find a way to limit the three-point shot, contest them, make them go inside, make them, you know take tough shots, but close out, close out well on those shots. I think the second key for Denver is that Jochik, Michael Porter, and Aaron Gordon, these three have to find their shots early on and often. They have to feed off one another. Feed off one another will be very important. They all have to get going from the perimeter and inside. You know, Jochik can't do it all by himself against the Phoenix Suns in this series. He's going to need Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon to take the initiative to score, to get good, good possessions, to get good shots all the way around because they're going to need that if they want to outwork the Suns in terms of the shooting and, on, and on, in the paint especially. And number three, the Denver Nuggets definitely have to find a way to, to continue to play well off the bench. You know, you saw some good moments from Austin Rivers, Monte Morris. They have to keep it going. Um, that bench really has to do a tremendous job in this series. But the Suns have a a really young nucleus that is impressing off the bench. And so Denver will have to keep that in mind. But they have to really find ways to put Monte Morris in, uh, have him score buckets, Austin Rivers. Those two have to set the tone for the Denver Nuggets if they want to find a way to win this series. They have to really play out of their style, out of their minds on the bench because, you know, when Yorchi goes out of the game or if, you know, you have one of the stars go out of the game, you need to see the Nuggets be able to score and put up points um, to, to, to keep up with the Phoenix Suns. As for the Phoenix Suns, their keys to victory in this series, number one, they have to find a way to be great in defending Nikola Jocic. The Suns' defense was good in the first round against the Lakers, against their size. Um, 
DeAndre Aiden is going to have to find a way to be a part of that, trying to limit him. Um, he needs to force Jochik into some bad passes, some bad turnovers. Um, but more importantly, they just have to be able to contest Jochik well enough in this series to have a chance. I think number two, uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiden. Uh, everyone on Phoenix needs to be aggressive getting their shots. They got to make the Nuggets work on the defensive end a lot, try to wear them out by attacking them one-on-one. You know, ball movement will be key. Chris Paul will have to do a lot more in this series than he did against the Lakers in the first round. Um, Chris Paul will have to be at his best, at his best, along with Devin Booker. They got to find their shots early and often, work together to counteract the ability that Jochik will have on the game, you know, so that will be crucial. The Suns be able to get to the, be aggressive and drive into the lane, attacking, getting baskets, you know, getting those opportunities. And number three for the Suns, they need to contest well without fouling. You know, Denver may try to push the pace, try to get some contact, get some shots. Phoenix needs to be disciplined, avoid the turnovers, avoid the, the ticky-tack fouls. You know, don't let Denver get to the free throw line too much. Keep them in check. Try to force them to shoot from the perimeter. Uh, you know, get them moving on off their direction. But the Suns definitely need to stay hot on the floor. They need to be good defensively and limiting the Denver's second chance points and their rebounding advantage that they may have. So, looking at how this series may go down. I anticipate a lot back and forth. I think that, you know, Denver has been able to win playing really great, getting some key stops always throughout their series. So I think both teams are going to win on their home court at least two times. And I think that Phoenix at this point, I think Devin Booker, the way that he played against the Lakers, I think he carries that forward to this series. As good as Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon are, they just don't have that kind of shooting ability that Devin Booker has. And I think that's what will decide this series. I think that Devin Booker will be at his best. I think he will score a lot more in key moments and key stretches than, than Michael Porter will do. Although I would love to see Michael Porter take on the challenge of being a top player along with Jochik on this team. And Porter is going to have a good chance to prove it in this one. So... I anticipate both teams going at it really, really well. I'm not saying that Michael Porter will not do a good job. I think he will play well enough. But I think Devin Booker is going to come out lights. You know, I think he's going to really bring it. I think you're going to see the Suns really do a good job of attacking Denver. And I think that Cameron Payne for the Phoenix Suns is going to really have a big series. He showed a lot in that first round match against the Lakers. I could see him definitely doing a lot more, being used in a variety of ways. And I think that... Suns have to have more elite shooters on their team off the bench. And so I'm going to pick the Suns to win in six games. I think that Denver obviously will make it interesting. They will shoot up. I think the Suns will be able to put more points on the board and key stretches in this game, in this series. And I think that Chris Paul um, will find a way to get DeAndre Aiden uh, and Jay Crowder the ball in some spots. They will be able to hit more shots than the than the Denver Nuggets. And I think that in terms of Yocha, I think they'll trap him a lot. I think they'll find ways to bother him enough where he won't be able to dominate 
too much. Although there will be some games where he will. But also, all being said and done, I think that the Suns are just more hungry, more ready. I think they have the better perimeter shooting in this series. And I think they'll find a way to get it done um, in a close game six victory. Should be fun to see how they how they come out and play because it will be in Phoenix tonight. I think Suns win game one tonight. Uh, I think they set, set the tone early on and we'll see how Denver responds. Um, but it should be a fun series that um, will go back and forth. And I wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven. But I'm picking the Phoenix Suns to win in six uh, because of Devin Booker's elite shooting um, throughout the series.